You're listening to the Sermon Podcast for the Gate Church in Lethbridge, Alberta. For more information, to contact us, or to support this ministry, please visit thegate.org. Well, all right, let's get started here. I do believe that there is a common idea among some people who don't know Jesus yet, that they need to, to reach a, a certain level of understanding before they can start to follow Jesus. Or, or it seems to me, in my personal experience, that the belief um, exists that before you can even come to church, you need to have achieved a, a certain level of, of goodness, however you define that. In my old job, I was a welder, um, up to a few weeks ago, actually. Uh, most everybody knew, or most everybody that I work with knew that I was a Christian. All right, there was no, I wasn't hiding that or anything like that. And I regularly talked about it. And I sometimes invited people to come to church with me or to, you know, events or whatever. And I found it interesting that one of the, the most common responses to this invitation was something along the lines of, oh man, if I, uh, if I stepped inside a church, I'd, I'd probably burst into flames. <laughs> or, oh, I, I just couldn't go to church. I, I'm not good enough. I'm not good enough to go to church yet. And it always made me really sad to hear this. You know, people have, have these mixed ideas, mixed up ideas of what God perhaps thinks of them or what they thought they would have to bring to the table before they started to follow Jesus, even before they had any sort of relationship with Jesus. And the truth is that there was misinformation about who Jesus was back when he walked on this earth as well. It's not like people have changed at all. I think we're pretty the same. We all think about Jesus with different ideas of who he is and what we need to do before we can start a relationship with him. And so we're going to go, we're going to pick up the story, the narrative in the Gospel of Luke in Luke chapter 9, verse 18. And this is soon after Jesus' disciples came back from their little ministry trips that Jesus sent them on and having all things provided for them on those trips. All right, and then they come back and then they, they, they are hoping for some time alone with Jesus, some quiet time to, rela- to relax and rest. Uh, but we find, again, huge crowds finding Jesus, right? Then we find the disciples again astounded at Jesus' provision to feed these huge crowds of people through the meager bit of food that the disciples managed to have. So they're hanging out with Jesus and perhaps are beginning to see that maybe he's just a bit more than a, a good teacher. All right, so let's read. Luke chapter 18, verses 18 to 27, and then we're going to jump to verses 57 to 62. Uh, We're going to be reading these two chunks of Scripture because they have pretty similar themes, and we'll come back to the, the stuff in the middle in later weeks. All right, so let's read. Now it happened that he was praying alone, talking about Jesus, and the disciples were with him. And he asked, who did the crowd say that I am? And they answered, well, John the Baptist, but others say Elijah, and others that one of the prophets of old has risen. And then he said to them, but who do you say that I am? And Peter answered, the Christ of God. 
And he strictly charged and commanded them to tell this to no one, saying, the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. And he said to all, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words, of him will the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes in his glory and the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. But I tell you truly, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God. And then down to verse 57. As they were going along the road, someone said to him, again, speaking to Jesus, I will follow you wherever you will go. And Jesus said to him, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the son of man has nowhere to lay his head. To another, he said, follow me. And he said, Lord, let me first go bury my father. And Jesus said to him, leave the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. And yet another said, I I will follow you, Lord. But let me first say farewell to those in my house. And Jesus said to him, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for these words and I pray, Father, that as I speak, God, you would, you would open my mouth and that, Lord, it would be the truth of you coming out, Lord. I pray that we would all have ears to hear your word today. Amen. So Jesus asks his disciples what the crowds thought about him. It's a pretty sensible question. The crowds and the people that had followed Jesus all over the countryside had some interesting ideas about who Jesus was. Some thought that he was John the Baptist, even though Herod had recently beheaded him. But maybe they just didn't know that yet. Honestly, news doesn't travel as quickly without the internet. Some thought he was Elijah, or one of the other prophets of old had had somehow risen back to life again. But people knew that they liked Jesus, that he fed people. That probably traveled pretty quick, that news. He performed miracles. And he was generally a nice guy to be around. He didn't, you know, chase kids away. He he brought them close. He blessed them. He was a really nice guy. And they also knew that the Pharisees and other religious leaders didn't like him. Which probably made him quite the, the interesting celebrity figure. He was an interesting guy to be around and listen to. And then, but it does sound like really nobody had figured it out yet. Right? The, the, his true purpose, his true being wasn't quite figured out among the crowds. But Jesus asked his disciples who he thinks, who they think he is. And Peter, being the, the spokesperson of the disciples, answered with the Christ of God. Now it seems that the disciples had an understanding that Jesus was more than just a good teacher or a prophet. They knew that he was the anointed one of God, the Messiah, the promised Messiah. But upon hearing this, Jesus gives them the immediate instructions not to tell anybody yet. 
and then goes on to tell them what's going to happen to them. That Jesus will suffer, and he will die, and he will be raised again on the third day. So let's just, let's just stop right there and think about that for one second. We know that the Jews were expecting a Messiah to come and to save their people. And we know that Jesus' disciples thought of him in this way, all right? that they, they perceived that he was Messiah. But they didn't know the full extent of what Jesus was going to do. To not just save the, the Jewish people from the Roman oppressors, which was kind of a common thought among them, but to save the whole world from the oppression of sin. So the disciples had an idea of who Jesus was, but they didn't quite grasp the whole concept about what Jesus was totally about. So how, how would have you have responded if, if you were there and, and Jesus, you, you admit to Jesus, he's the Messiah, but then he comes back and says, I'm going to die and be raised again. You know, that would have been quite alarming and shocking for, the, for you to hear that Jesus, to say these things. That's not quite the plan that, they, that the disciples had in mind. And if you look back at, or at a different telling of this story in Matthew chapter 16, we see Matthew's account, and we see in his telling that Peter actually takes Jesus aside. And he's like, Jesus, no, that, that's not how it goes. And he rebukes Jesus. Whew, that takes some... Some, some stones there, because Jesus didn't agree with what Jesus had actually said. I can imagine that there was probably a lot of talk, a lot of discussion between the disciples about what Jesus had said. They would have been concerned and confused about Jesus' big plan of being the Messiah. And it wasn't, if we read further on in Luke, it wasn't until after the, the resurrection that Jesus opened their minds to the scriptures and it actually made sense to them. So what I find very interesting here is that even though the disciples had figured out something that the crowds hadn't yet, they still hadn't figured out everything about Jesus. There was still a lot that they didn't know. They still needed to be around Jesus for things to make sense to them. The fact that they didn't know all the things <laughs> did not disqualify them from coming to Jesus. In the same way, we do not have to have everything figured out before we start to follow Jesus. So Jesus responds to both the disciples and all the crowds because it says, and Jesus said to all, and that's that's, that's including to us. And this is what he says to all the crowds and all the people around him. If anyone would come after me, or if anyone would follow me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. The words here are for everyone. Not just people who have a certain level of understanding or who have already got to a certain point in their faith, but to absolutely everyone that comes to Jesus. No matter where we find ourselves, what level of faith or belief we have, Jesus speaks to us directly and points to where we must all go. That's a tough saying. It's a tough saying, and it would be hard for the crowds to hear. A beloved teacher talking about crucifixion, 
Because that's what it was. And having to do something that only enemies of Rome would ever have to do. People who didn't agree with Rome were the only ones that had to carry their cross. But I'm fairly confident when I say that, that Jesus and everyone else living in that area at that point in history would have seen someone be crucified and would have seen people carrying the piece of wood that they would eventually die on. You know, that was just the, the, the political climate of that day. Jesus' listeners would have understood the political aspect of what Jesus was saying. By following Jesus and carrying a cross, you are telling the world that you do not say that Caesar is Lord, but you are willing to deny your own desires and pledge your loyalty to a different kingdom altogether, the kingdom of God. So we, as people living in Lethbridge in 2021, have a couple thousand years of separation from that. But the call is still the same though. Jesus is asking us to deny ourselves and to carry our cross and follow him. To pledge our loyalty to a kingdom that is entirely different than the popular empire that is all around us. Now, the cool part of this story, as we look at it, we can see another layer that the original hearers in that crowd that day did not see or hear. We can know that in a short amount of time after Jesus says these words, that he himself would carry a cross to his death. And so as we pick up our cross and follow Jesus, well, we at least know where we're heading, right? It doesn't change the fact that we're heading towards some sort of death, but we at least we know where we're going. <laughs> On top of this, we also know that Jesus' story didn't end with his death. His crucifixion led to his resurrection. Praise God for that. And in knowing that, we can have a sure hope that when we commit to following Jesus to death, there is also new life waiting for us as well. So let's break it down here. When we deny ourselves, we are admitting to God that our own selfish ways are absolutely no good. We know that if we were selfish, we would only do things that we feel like doing or that, that feel good. And we deny ourselves and we admit to God that, we, that He has a way that is so much better than our selfish, sinful way. In Romans chapter 6, 12 and 13, it says, Do not let sin control the way you live. Do not give in to its lustful desires. Do not let any part of your body become a tool of wickedness to be used for sinning. Instead, give yourselves completely to God since you have been given new life. And use your whole body as a tool to do what is right for the glory of God. Denying ourselves is to give ourselves over completely to God. To completely turn our back on our sinful desires and give our whole bodies to do what is right and glorifying to God. That seems like a big ask, doesn't it? And as Dietrich Bonhoeffer wrote in his cost of or in his book, The Cost of Discipleship, he was a man that stood up to the Nazis in Germany. He said, when Christ calls a man 
he bids him come and die. It's pretty serious. And it would be a big ask. It would be if we were asked to do it by ourselves. If we were asked to do it alone. But we're not alone. That's the beauty of this. That's the joy of this. We are following Christ. He carried His cross. And He's asking us to follow Him carrying our own cross. Jesus has done this already. He's carried His cross and because He knows the way, we can trust Him as He leads us down that way. And so we can agree with the writers of Proverbs. The writer of Proverbs in chapter 3, verses 5 and 6, when he says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge Him and He will make straight your paths. Kneeling down and pledging our lives to God will not be the most understandable thing. But we can know that the one who we are pledging to follow is not only trustworthy, but he has gone on ahead of us and he knows the path. We can carry our cross knowing that the path we are on takes us away from the dark sin that so easily entangles us and towards the death that Jesus already died for us. Paul talks about carrying his cross and walking with Christ to death in Galatians 2.20 when he says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life I now live in the flesh, I live by, the, by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. When we follow Christ with our cross on our backs, yes, we walk toward death, but it's the death of our sinful self. And, though, and through faith in Christ, we are raised again to life. And it's a brilliantly new life filled with grace. In Romans 8, verses 10 and 11, it says, But if Christ is in you, and he is in you if you are following him, although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. When we admit that we are sinners and we give our lives to Christ and we accept him as our Lord and Savior, we receive the gift of grace, of forgiveness, and the Holy Spirit. We die to our sinful selves and we receive the new life that is promised us in Christ Jesus. Now, we can't do this on our own power. We can't try to save our lives because as Jesus said, we will lose them. It doesn't work. It doesn't work to try and gain the whole world and all the things that we might think are good because we will forfeit the very lives, our very lives in the process. I want you to let you know what you're signing up for if you decide to follow Jesus. So if we go back to the Luke passage, a man tells Jesus that he will follow Jesus wherever he will go. And Jesus responds by saying, I can't promise you comfort or I can't promise you riches 
or anything like that. Jesus didn't have a home to go and sleep in. And so if we follow Jesus, we deny ourselves the impulse to go where it is comfortable. To another person, Jesus says, follow me. And that man says that, oh, I need to go and bury my father first. And Jesus responds by telling that man to leave that responsibility to someone else and go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Jesus wants us to put him first. Not our families, nor the cultural responsibilities that we might have, but to go and do what Christ has commanded us to do. A third person comes and says he wants to follow Jesus. I really do, God. But he needs to go and spend more time with his family first. He needs to say goodbye. Jesus responds by saying that no one who commits to the life of following Jesus should look back at anything, even if it's a good thing like family. So all these interactions, and I'm sure there was plenty of them that weren't even recorded in the Bible, but all of these interactions point to one thing, that Jesus demands that we follow him completely. The path might not be comfortable. It will lead to sacrifice. And we cannot look back with fondness to what we have left behind. In the movie The Hobbit, Gandalf the wizard says to Bilbo Baggins at the beginning of his adventure, you will have to do without pocket handkerchiefs and a great many other things before we reach our journey's end, Bilbo Baggins. You are born to the rolling hills and little rivers of the Shire, but home is now behind you. And the whole world is ahead. The words of Gandalf are a faint echo of what Paul says in Philippians 3, 13 and 14. But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining towards what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. To me, this doesn't sound like someone who is dreading a life of following Jesus as if it were some sort of hardship. It sounds like a joyful adventure that awaits us as we leave our sinful life behind and we run joyfully toward the prize which is found in our life with Christ. Christ.